Hi there, you're listening to Rune Landers. I'm Adam, your host and friendly neighborhood dungeon master. Now before we begin, a couple of things. Rune Landers contains adult content about as much as your average late evening premium cable series. We don't beat these topics over the head, and they're not in every episode, but they do exist as part of the setting, so we don't shy away from them when they come up either. Use your judgment. If that sort of thing isn't your bag, well then, this probably isn't the podcast for you. If, however, that is your sort of thing, well then, dig, if you will, this fractured fable of a felonious fellowship's forays through the suave salons and sinister saloons of Byzantine Bailey Mina, the city of steel and steam. Thrilled to the adventures of this criminal cadre as they climb to notoriety and beyond, will they remain merely outlaws, or will they become true villains? Well, I could tell you, but it's more fun if we show you. We're the Runelanders. This is Rapscallion, so get ready, Runetics, and let's roll. Open this episode at Calder and Company's warehouse. Calder, your belt is going to be a month before you can distill the bilatinum that you need. Um, so it's spellcraft until then, necessarily limiting your social calendar. However, the secretary that runs your affairs has managed to clear your schedule. She's terribly efficient. The appointed hour is drawing near. The auto tint comes off your office windows just at the moment of greatest illumination for your view through the towers along the Firth out to the Sea Garden far to the north. A few moments after you've finished putting your face on, as it were, checking it in the mirror and just marveling at how much tighter and crisper the images since Ziva's adjustments, um, there is a knocking on the door. One moment, and I uh, I double-check everything. And uh... You seem all right from teeth to tail. Everything looks uh, fairly half-elven, but uh, again... The difference in perspective from what you're actually seeing to where your eyes are, it's taken a bit of adjustment. So uh, you remember to fit some smoked lenses onto your illusion so that the pupils are harder to trace and therefore less of a concern. Uh, Once you're sure that's in order and the brilliant sunlight is filling your office. Yeah, so uh, with everything checked, patted down, New glasses on. I uh, I I'm about to to say come in, and then I remember this is just disguise self. So I reach over and uh, open up a little box, take out a new bottle of cologne, and I put on what I think is the perfect amount, which is mm, about a handful. Well, it's you know 
make sure you, you get covered. So, um, I mean, you just quickly pat yourself in various places all over your body, shins and thighs and legs and back and back of neck and, you know, where the hair is roughly supposed to be. And um, once that's on there, you take a deep whiff. And yes, that smells powerfully of uh, a floral and um, a flowers and whiskey is what it smells like. Just as long as I don't smell of dragon. I'll uh, turn around and uh, <clears throat> straighten up. Yes. Come in. The door opens, and it's Mrs. Underbarrow. She's the new daytime secretary who will be, you know, also managing your affairs um, from your recent acquisition of employees from Littleton. Good morning, sir. Ah, good morning. Please come in. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Um, all right. Um, well, this morning you've got, um, well, you've, I, we know you've asked us to clear your calendar for at least the next week. However, there is a, a young lady here who's quite insistent uh, that, uh, that she sees you, sir. Indeed. Tell me, uh, what is her name? Oh, she's a... She's a young lady named Miss Ziva, sir, but she's a mess. I didn't know if she was the, uh, if she was the sort of just have come right in. I haven't met her yet, you see. If she's a friend uh, of you, yes. she says she's a friend of yours, but she is in a bit of a state. Well, why don't you go and uh, fetch her for me and bring her back here? That'll be fine. I'll, I'll have her here at once, sir. And as she's gone, I'll tisk myself uh, for not being a better boss. And I'll write down a quick list of uh, my fellow rapscallions <laughs> so that she knows who is on the list. I will notably leave Timothy off the list. <laughs> Very good. He can make his appointments through Mrs. Underbarrow and her associate. Um, excuse me, Miss Ziva. Ma'am, Mr. Carlos says he'll see you now. Okay. It has been a terrible night, Eva. Yeah. Like, that's just, just fucking awful, and you kind of need your dragon right now. He'll know what to do. So this imperious little half-sized woman comes out with her beehive and her skirt, and sure, didn't you see her at the front of the Burley and Took Brewery once upon a time? But, uh, you know, she doesn't recognize you now. Of course, you were a little loaded then, but it doesn't matter. So she she comes out to get you and says, um, Yes, dear, um, Mr. Carly will see you now. Oh, thank you. And uh, shows you into Caller's office. Uh, Ziva, darling, I'm, I am so sorry. Please have a seat. Thank you. Mrs. Underbarrow, uh, my apologies. Um, here you'll find a list of uh, acquaintances who uh, need no appointment. Also, if you'd be so kind as to fetch us some tea post-haste. At once, sir. I'm very sorry then, miss. I, uh, we've been screening Master Carter's appointments lately. He's asked us, well, again, just my apologies. I'll be right. I won't be a moment. No, no need to apologize. It's entirely my fault. Thank you. 
and then she she is gone with the typical light-footedness of her folk. So I'll uh, step uh, to the other side of the office and I'll uh, close the door all the way. And then I'll go over and uh, sort of lean up against uh, the front of my desk uh, next to where Ziva's sitting. And I'll say, Ziva, what, uh, what's going on? Oh, this is so... I don't know, it's just like everything is kind of a lot. And some stuff happened. All right. Well, what if you started at the beginning? Um, okay. So, I mean, like, I'm just already, I'm so stressed. I'm so worried about my brother. You know, so I have been hanging out at the archives a lot and, you know, and I've been like doing a lot of reading and hanging out with Sewell and we're having like, everything was like great, you know? And then I just... uh, I did something really stupid. Oh, boy. That certainly doesn't sound like you at all, dear. Tell me, what do you think you did? No, it's like, like, it's like for real stupid. Okay, so like, I mean, have you, have you like, have you met Zool? Uh, no, I've actually never been to the archive, uh, but I certainly have. I've heard many stories from those of us who have. No, I've I've not met uh, Mr. Boo, uh, but uh, I'm well acquainted with, uh, well, what sort of person he is. Um, but any time I've needed information with the archives, I've um, I've been able to have someone else attend to such business. Yeah, like, Zul is, like, just this amazing person. And, like, I'm so happy that I've been, you know, getting to know them and getting to know, like, everything about them and, like, their whole, like, history and background and all of that, you know? And I, like, and they really trusted me. And then... I was like, when, you know, the other day, I was like, ooh, la, la, I'm going to read this random book. And I was reading this book, and I wasn't even thinking about it. It had spells for, like, summoning and controlling his kind of people. Ah, I see. And then, so, like, they came in and found out, saw this, and thought that, thought, like, all the worst things about me. And I totally, totally don't blame them. Like, I mean, I totally understand, you know, like, if I came in and they were reading a book, like, about how to cook elves or something... You know what I mean? It would be, like, really hard to 
not think the worst. Well, tell me, Ziva, when when Zul came in, did he come in because you used the book to summon him? No, of course not. We were just hanging out, and I was just like, I just wandered off and like found this random book. And when he came into the room, was he there because you used the book to control him? Of course not. Never do that. Well, darling, I'm not entirely sure what the problem is. What, I, I'm sorry, were you not there to read books? Well, yeah, it's just... Like... You know... What if... What if you caught me reading books about, like... I don't know, like, using dragon parts or something... Oh, no, no, no. We've had all of those destroyed. But I do take your point. <laughs> well, oh, my God. You're funny. I would, I would ask you what you thought of it and what you were planning on doing with the information. Information is yeah. power. You of all people should know that. Your brilliance literally knows no bounds. The only thing that constrains your intelligence, my dear is your knowledge. If Zul cannot understand that about you, then I fear he's not up to the task in that he has been weighed and found wanting. <laughs> I didn't think of it like that. I mean, I don't know. Oh, but you do know. You know almost everything. And you were there to read books at his invitation. Books that he knew were in his own collection. And if he is somehow displeased that you were doing what he invited you to do, I suggest that he needs to take a moment to consider why he invited you there in the first place. The camera now holds on Ziva's face as her wide purple eyes widen slightly more in comprehension. The camera then switches to her point of view, where we see that Calder is fully draconic. There is the illusion of the half-elf in very pale outline. Ziva, you wrote this spell over. You know how it works. There is no way it will ever fool you again. But shimmering in the light of the rising sun, the half-elf, the half-elven specter in front of the dragon standing behind him, filibusters and moans and motions along with Calder's words. And uh, when he finishes, Calder, it's then that you realize that Ziva is not looking you in your intended face, but in your actual eyes. Fair enough. With a flick of my hand, I'm going to use a, a cantrip to flip the lock on the door. I'm just going to drop the spell. And I will make direct eye contact with Ziva. Ziva. It's a one flick of a mage hand away, which I believe is in your retinue. And so, um, with your draconic mastery of small magics, you flick the hasp. The camera switches out into the front office, where Mrs. Underbarrow, hearing the noise, looks over at the door and her features become positively scandalized. Uh, 
before she picks up her data type and starts tapping office messages all around Calder and Company's warehouse. Ziva, I can see that you're quite upset. I really am. Like, I care a lot about them and like, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, if it helps, I know what you're doing. You're you're making a new friend and you're researching. Well, okay, we're like maybe a little more than friends. You're making a new very good friend and you're researching. (laughs) And I ask you this, Eva, how many other people in all of Bailey Mina be willing to see past the dripping shadowy ichor of your new very good friend to be able to see what is inside to even consider such relationship the person who should be concerned is not you it should be him for he is very close to losing possibly the best thing that's ever happened to him you are like the best and she stands up and she gives him a big hug around his neck this uh this hugging stuff it's a little discombobulating it's uh not something i ever done but uh ziva sure seems to like it and does it a lot so uh you know i uh kind of awkwardly pat her a little bit and try to as i try to learn what this whole hugging thing is about well, it wouldn't be so bad, but she grabs you right around the base of your neck, right? There's the most awkward spot where you can't, like, flex anything to adjust. So she's kind of got you by the top of your torso, and you're, you're, you're at that awkward age, too, where your neck is a little, a little long, so, and you don't have the wings to counterbalance you quite yet. So, I mean, it's, you know, you got to splay your tail out, and it's a little bit awkward, but you manage to, you know. Also, yeah, so her- He's ice cold. Oh, yeah, there's that, too. He is chilly to the touch. But she does give very warm and loving hugs. Well, the the temperature is certainly no problem, but uh, the whole arrangement, uh, the logistics of the hug is uh, still something that uh, Calder's far from mastering, so we'll kind of awkwardly pat her on the head and then realizes fingers are somehow being consumed by her hair and tries to extricate himself from them and uh, eventually uh, just settles with a... No kidding. Like, at this hour of the morning, by the way, Ziva, once the hug breaks, you're standing in front of the window. This great big, huge... uh, Like, there's three big curved panels of glass. It's very deco, if you can imagine, right? This whole office looking out over the Firth. And... uh, you catch your your reflection in the glass and uh, your hair. First off, you washed it this week. It'll be all right. Don't have to do it again this month. But it is unruly because you've been up, well, in a mood all night. And so your hair has that kind of liquid consistency, like where it resembles, it has the attitude of uh, like hot Play-Doh. You know what I mean? It is still all strands of hair, but there's just this thing that since you started losing learning magic, you started using it to do your hair, 
And it turns out that any enchantment, if cast on the same thing for a year and a day, will have a lasting effect. And so your hair literally has a mind of its own. Mostly does what you want it to, except when it's not in the mood to. Or when I'm in a mood. We're we're all we are all very grateful for that signal. So uh, I'll uh, I'll end up with a awkward sort of there there there, and then I'll straighten you up a little and look you in the eye and I square up your shoulders and I say, "Now, Ziva, darling, shall I go have a conversation with Sewell?" <laughs> that would be super sweet. Like I don't know what he would say or anything. I don't know, like. To be honest, he does not need to say anything. Okay, if you want to, and you feel like it would help, then yes. The camera cuts to the outside of Calder's office, where the door opens. Well, the the lock, sorry. The camera cuts to the outside of Calder's office, where Mrs. Underbarrow is still busily tapping away on her data type. The office door clicks open and then swings open. Ziva's hair has arranged itself in a long braid down the center of her back. Um, the tassel of which sways about the back of Ziva's knees. She's cleaned her face up. She looks a lot happier. But uh, Ziva, you should probably go finish putting your stuff away because I guess today's the day, right? Today's the day that Delilah's going to come tell Arabette what uh what's what and all that but uh you should go get cleaned up put primus away as you do you know yeah okay thank you so much i'll be back and won't be long of course darling i'll see you shortly thank you Yes, um, well, uh, and sorry about the confusion earlier dear uh do stop by any time and her little Pixie features just kind of <laughs> at you as you uh, as you walk out, as though she was thinking some sort of disapproving. What could she be on about? People, Ziva, who can tell? But it's time for a shower anyway, and Primus is probably waiting the pate outside. Compose yourself down the hallway and out the side door to where exactly that is happening. As you head off down the hallway, Mrs. Underbarrow watches you go, and then, very uh, surprised, turns to see that the office door is still open, standing there, wearing his Mr. Calder mask, arms folded, looking at her with an eager gaze. Well, Miss Underbarrow, I guess it shall be tea for one, then. Oh, To the roof, where Arabet and Timote are sparring, one-handed, very in a very mannerly fashion. It's very linear back and forth, except for the fact that neither one of them is touching the gravel and that the linear back and forth is all being accomplished by means of vent pipes and similar. Into this scene, we will introduce Ms. Delilah Del Rey at her leisure. I mean, there's not a noise at all. It's really not fair. Just suddenly she's there, sitting on a pipe, watching. 
The student is enthusiastic, while the master is masterful. It makes sense now. You'd always notice the economy of his motions when you thought he was Arthur. Thought he'd make a good thief. Now that you know who he is, you realize why that is. And now that you see him training his apprentice and the restraint he's showing, you realize just how graceful he is. Good morning, Delilah. Did you want to uh, get a turn in? Oh, no. You know me. I like watching. Indeed. I wonder what brings you out uh, to the roof. Well, I told you I'd have an answer before you left, didn't I? Oh, good. Yes. Uh, thank you. I am punctual. Yes, yes, you are. You could totally get him now, Tim. Oh, lunge at him. With uh, advantage, and uh, you can roll it as a sneak. That would be a uh, 31. Hey, Arabet. Yeah? I need you to roll with disadvantage. So uh, I roll two natural 20s in a row. Just like the year. Tim, he's got fucking eyes in the back of his head. He must, he must have eyes in the back of There is no possible way. He wasn't even looking. He was flat-footed with his, with his back to you. He, his rapier was down. You were, so, I, I mean, how could you not? You had great big, full-on swat across the ass cheeks with the flat of the blade, right? Why not? Knock him off the vent pipe. Ha, ha, ha. He does it to you all the time, right? He wasn't even looking. There's no possible way that you could miss that, except that the, the a hair's breadth before you get to slapping him on the ass, his rapier just moves back that fractional centimeter and blocks it. Looks over his shoulder at you and says... Nice, nice. Very aware of you. Yeah. Okay. You always take advantage of what seems to be a disadvantage. Very good, Timothy. Good eye. Unbelievable. That was fucking amazingly fast, Timothy. Delilah, the kid has promise. None of this... Oh, the master's not paying attention. The dirty little bastard went to smack him across the ass. I suppose it's nice to know I still qualify as a distraction after all these years. Well, sure. I mean, to the kid's credit, that did seem distracted. Even you thought that should have hit. Like, he didn't even look. I gracefully stepped down off the pipe. That was miraculous. It was miraculous, because I saw that press 20 and went, oh. Like, well, there goes that. What? Yeah, no doubt. The dice gods have spoken. So, Arabat uh, gracefully descends from the vent pipe. So, your answer then? Or would you like coffee first? Oh, I'll always take coffee first. 
Well, then follow us into the greenhouse. Timote, there's this move you've been working on with the small sorceries and magics that you've managed to cobble together from your time as apprentice to Master Calder. And so, as you dismount your vent pipe, you do so in a long surfing motion, which takes you about mm, 10 or 15 meters, which is about 30 to 30 to 40 feet for uh, before you hit the gravel. Just kind of slide down in a long skating motion to land on the gravel. What's up, miss? Good evening, Timothy. What are you doing here? I don't believe I've been too obfuscatory about that. I'm here to provide an answer. She's going to have coffee, Tim. As am I. Would you like some, too? You're offering me? All right. And Arabek goes into the greenhouse. The door is open. And proceeds to uh, fuss about in the kitchen with the coffee. You know, this is nice. Normally, I'm the one who has to do all that. Delilah watches the preparations with some care. Scones? We're pulling out the scones? Yes, please. And clotted cream yet from the place on Mulvaney. Now, they're not as good as Hans's bagels, but they're not bad. Who am I to deny a growing boy? Buttery. How's the coffee? Again, buttery. That's mm, lovely. Yes. So, uh, to business? Certainly. And what are you thinking? I believe the terms as agreed upon are fair. Why, thank you. Does that mean you accept the terms? If you'll bring something back for me. Okay, and what would you like back? Arabet, make a will save. Three. For Delilah, the moon. What do you demand? An unbroken heart. What? <laughs> I wonder what I'll have to trade for that, but yes, I will bring you one unbroken heart. Will you recognize it when I bring it? I dare say so. Okay, so there has got to be six or $17,000 worth of expensive tools in this shop, many that Ursa would probably um, kick babies to have. This place is well-appointed. Uh, everything in it, A place for everything, everything in its place. No outlines or anything like that, but you get the sense that the person who put them there has arranged them so that they could go no other way. And is that... What the hell is... Th that is some lost age shit he's holding on to. Oh, also, there's something that's going on with him. Because as he turns to face you, 
he fades out of existence entirely and turns into a dragon. Oh, fuck, they brought Delilah. Oh, hey. Hello. I'm so happy you could join us, Delilah. It was most considerate of Erebet to invite you. And with a couple of taps on the device he was holding, the dragon illusion fades and he is once again his half-elven self. Or so it seems. You've never met this person yet, so evidently this caller they've talked about is some kind of inventor who is familiar with what young dragons look like. You must be Calder. It's a pleasure. Enchanté. You must be Delilah. And I'll reach out uh, for her hand, and if uh, she accepts it, I'll give it a chaste kiss. She will indeed offer her hand. It is the most gentlemanly of gestures. However, Delilah, if you'll roll a perception check, please. That is a 19. Though his hand being a gloved in kid leather, yet it feels mildly scaly. Also, something is off in that the size of the appendage itself doesn't track to the sensation of it around your hand. And when he raises it to his lips, the feeling you get across the back of your knuckles is, well, I mean, although this is like an estimandine and venadine custom, uh, and they're supposed to be as light as mist, this literally feels like a misting of rain. Putting two and two together and quickly coming up with four. Well then, Arabette, are we expecting anyone else? No. All right. Well, I think we're ready to begin. <sighs> okay. Okay, so standing in this workroom at the far end is a mirror, a large mirror. It hangs in air, about a foot off the floor and 10 inches off the wall. It is um, pulsing with gr the greenness of health uh, and, in fact, looks much more vivacious than it did when last you saw this thing, Ziva. Man, you have done some really good work here. Oh, yes. It took quite a bit of, um, well, I don't know, personality, charm. I'm not sure, but we got there eventually. It was a lot of swearing. There was some swearing. You're amazing. Well, we're not done yet. Did I hear that other voice? No. Did you? Huh? Maybe. Interestingly. Interesting. His accent changed for a moment. Or was that even him? It seems it came from him. Sounds like him. No? No, that accent is definitely different. Huh. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's to do with the transformation. Delilah. That other voice came clearly from behind him. Um, yes, well, quite a bit has gone in, um, both in terms of um, uh, Ziva's thaumaturgy and uh, my artifice work. However, 
I I suspect that I suspect perhaps that Erebed is not up to the task of defeating this lock. Master Calder, I believe you'll find that them's fighting words. I mean, call his mother a whore, but... <laughs> oh, but this is no ordinary lock. Yeah, that can you do it? It's mechanical, isn't it? In part. There are mechanical parts. Yeah, here's that snail shell. She's, like, pointing it out. Uh, you trace the outline of where it has seamlessly fit in, and you've just, just found it after all this looking. He did a really good job. Like, this is... He didn't use magic to do it. There was clearly some sort of filler here, right? Like, it, it's not the seamless perfection of a Dweomer, but this is really nicely done. Like, it'll do. Uh, just a quick dip into the thomic spectrum, because really, it's a couple of seconds of, you know couple of seconds of concentration and every connection is absolutely perfect the thomic harmonics are you know not to be believed he's done a perfect job of this it's brand new this is like humming along this is amazing i don't know how you did this you're incredible no no take a closer look and he hands you uh one of his uh detect manage uh detect magic monocles <laughs> She puts it on. Okay, so like he's really excited about this, Siva. And uh, when you when you when you're handed this monocle, um, you touch it and it gives you a bit of a, a spark, like a static shock, as if you've just walked across a shag carpet and rubber soled shoes. You know, um, it gives you that kind of a tweak. And then when you look at it. Uh, it is riotous. It gives you a momentary headache, and you have to close that eye because this frame is alive. What? Interesting, no? What? Oh my. This is what? Yes, he has absolutely. He's managed to salvage a living Eldwood frame with broken glass and everything like this amazing amazing magecraft except it's not magecraft i didn't know but perhaps i meant to fix things you are so good okay to be fair i i did have some help but um yes yes i am rather good i am like super confident that we're gonna get through this and get to my brother. This is clearly a magic mirror, Delilah, because the there's a slight sheen of that nauticolor that magicians have around them occasionally, or magic locks, or you know, spell triggers, or any of the glyphs and runes and trap markings that you've learned to disarm over the years. But um, this is definitely yes, this is definitely a magic mirror. Now. Uh, as Arabet says, it's mechanical. You're like, what's mechanical? And as Ziva's looking at one particular part, she turns to Calder and uh, looks two feet above his head and uh, gushes about what a great job he's done. As Arabet comes over and has a look at the keyhole. Now, Bet, 
Would you like to... It's going to need three rolls. The first one is a diagnostic, and I don't recommend you spend your rec- your inspiration on that. Okay, I got 31. This is... Uh, God, this is so complex and subtle. It's elegant. It's... Like, it moves, it pulses, it functions. It goes about its its rotation of, of movements. The thing, like, you wouldn't... It, it, it's like it's breathing. It's moving, turning. Now, if the structure of this thing is anything to base an opinion on, this means that the key has to fill the space not occupied by the tumblers for the mechanism to function, right? And the tumblers, you think, can be moved aside, but your first touch in the whole frame shivers with a pulse of a feeling you think feels like giggles. Arabit smiles and strokes the frame. <laughs> so you stroke it to calm it down. Yes, you were tickling it. Okay. Now it's the uh, you diagnosed how it works. You have to deduce a, a strategy to open it up. How would you like to approach that? May I borrow the monocle? Oh yeah, here. Calder doesn't intervene. But you can tell by the way he looks that he thought Arabet was asking him, you know, just the owner of the monocle. She just doesn't even, she just hands it over unthinkingly and then looks up at Calder and goes, oh, wait, sorry. Uh, 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 no, it's fine. However, I think you'll find that's the wrong one. Uh, one moment. Then I'll uh, uh, open up my... Uh, my jacket and you hear a little bit of tinkling as almost like I'm going through a, like a set of files, uh, like a filing cabinet. And I found this fine knife with a uh, withdraw, uh, a slightly smaller one and hand that to Arabet. Oh, that's perfect. Thank you. You fit it into your eye, under your eyebrow and pinch off your pinch it off with your cheek. And then it grows so that you can relax and just, it sits there. It fit, it grows to fit your eye socket entirely. Uh, the tighter you focus on this, the greater the magnification becomes. So you just close your other eye and practice focusing in and out with your right eye. Very good. Now, roll to open it. And I would suggest that you roll with advantage, but not because you're spending your dice, because Calder is giving you the help action. Natural 20. Click the color, like the glass of the mirror ripples as of a breeze across a still pond. I withdraw from the mirror carefully without pushing anything through towards the glass. Hey, Delilah. Yes. He just opened the door between worlds. As far as you know, nobody has ever done that, and you just saw him do it. He picked a fucking dimensional gate. 
These things aren't even supposed to exist. Calder turns slightly to look at Delilah, hoping to catch her eye. She seems smart enough to know that he knows what she knows. But it seems like he wants the boat job to still happen too. This way doesn't say anything. She just says, <laughs> and keeps watching. Oh my god, Arvath, that was so cool. Well, I will be honest and say the monocle helped immensely. And you guys have been talking about this thing as if it's alive, which helped too, I have to admit. Uh, well, it basically is. Yes, well, sir, I but, yes, sir, but I agree. I, uh, unlocking this was, was mostly me. <laughs> Anyway, I totally thought that was going to take you, like, forever. And you thought so fast. Okay. Is it ready to go? I actually had, yeah, I, I actually have food coming shortly as we settle in to watch you do this impossible task, which apparently is eminently possible for you. Okay. We have a great big meal, and then we run out. And we get my brother. Excellent. Well, um, I guess the only thing left is to decide who will go first, and uh, obviously Timothy. Yes, yes. Uh, wait, what? Huh? No, I'm going. Oh, fine. Actually, uh, I'll go. I opened the lock. I will be the one to go first, Ziva, if you don't mind. Okay. I know you have a sense of adventure, but. We really don't know what's on the other side. Yeah, it's not that. It's my brother. That's what I'm saying. If somebody's going to take it in the chest, it'll be me. Yeah, you're right. Thank you. I mean, that you would do that for me and Nari. There is a thunderous hammering on the door of the chamber into which you are all gathered. Calder's head snaps, looks at the door, looks over at Arabet, and I make that little double head nod to send him to the door. I uh, then position myself between the door and the mirror. Uh, what? I'm sorry, which duke? Duke Galloglass of Kern, villain, Open the door at once. Have you ever heard of this duke? Did I hear that when I visited Nari? Nope. Okay, then I, it, I've i never heard this name. Nope. What? Who? We are kind of in the middle of a private party. You are under arrest. Open this door at once. Uh, I think we better go. Where? Through the mirror? What mirror? Wait. What? I, I look for Delilah. Delilah is standing over in the corner right where she was. What? 
Does the room look different? Mm, well, it's starting to. Uh, like, shit. I think we're already through. I think we need to get out of here now, too. Now open this door at once. Don't make us break it in. It will only go worse for you. Well, given uh, given Ziva's uh, assessment, uh, I think I'm on, I, 13 on Arcana for a total of 20. I think I'm inclined to agree that we're we're through now. Can I see? I, I'll pop a monocle back in. Can I can I see that this place is different than than my warehouse? Yes. In fact, uh, your tools are not your tools. They're all just twigs and and things all wrapped up, and you know, and with leaves and wood. And now that you look, it's all just cobbled together from. Ephemera. A disheartened dragon is a rare sight, but if anyone gazes upon me now, that is exactly what they shall see. My tools! Hello. My tools! Where's Delilah, you ask? Well, she's in the corner where she... Isn't she? Delilah, everybody else in the room is there one second, and, like, you can see everybody in the mirror in the room, and then when you, like, take your eyes off it, you're alone in the room with the mirror. There is a polite tap on the door. A moment later, the door opens and this uh, halfling woman laden with, you know, trays and plates and bowls and dishes of various descriptions and lots and lots of food uh, backs her way into the laboratory and turns to see you there says, oh, well, I must be early. All right, so uh, the rest of you look around and see that Delilah, having been furthest from the mirror, evidently, well, being furthest from the mirror, is the only one of you who seems to be fading out of existence. Now, looking around the room, the glamour is falling, and you can see that the tools are fading to be irregular knots in the patterns of trees, and the trees themselves are arranged in a rough rectangle that the uh, the branches of the the branches between them are knitting are interknitting to make the walls, and you know the reality is slowly starting to seep in, and you can see now, Arabet, a tall humanoid figure. Um, slashing away at what appears to be some heavy undergrowth not too far away from you. Uh, the rest of you are standing in this 15 by 20 rectangle, roughly rectangular clearing in a forest very, very shortly after Delilah fades away. She's just, she's just looking around in awe. She just has her mouth hanging open. Calder looks at his hands. They are nice and silver black and thin fingered, very dexterous with talons aplenty. Your isothermic coat has made the jaunt. Your belt, of course, is apart on the desk. Your illusion seems to have failed entirely. And uh, yeah, the rest of you see a dragon wearing his kilt and coat with a utility belt with several tools on it 
And uh, it occurs to you that you are all in possession of what you're going to bring to the dream. Those carefully packed bags and rucksacks and maps and boxes and bags and everything upstairs ready for a Sherpa train. Well, they're all upstairs for a Sherpa train. But first things first. But on the plus side, we're about to be attacked. Yes. Now, Zebra, <laughs> these, these trees are the realest trees you've ever seen. These are archetypal trees. Everybody who was born with a lifespan of less than 100 years, roll a, wi a wisdom save. <laughs> 16. 15. Okay, you guys have seen a lot of weird shit, and it's probably a good thing because this is like this it's sharp, it's crisp. It is as though the rest of your life has been in black and white, and this morning you woke up to see color for the first time. The ironic thing is that right now the scene is painted mainly in blacks and grays. And the only color you see, the only bright color is from the torches which are approaching you through the forest the thick thick underbrush of the forest and as the illusion of the office fades so too do the branches now creep in to fill the clearing um in i'm going to give you each one action before it's time to roll initiative and we're going to start with arabet what's your action natural 20 plus 10 to hide Delilah, on the other side of the mirror, uh, you see that the um, odd, entrancing, beautiful color in the mirror fades as the construction itself settles gently on the floor and then falls forward. She's going to try and stop it from smashing. 25. Okay, uh, you are never going to make it in time, but you give the work table a solid heel stomp kick, which drives it forward two feet and catches the frame of the mirror before it can flop all the way over and smash. It does land hard, however, and by the time you stand the mirror up to lean it against the wall, it has a jagged crack all the way down and across it. Now... The thing here is, you know that there are people in the city who can fix mirrors. You live with one. It's just getting her here to do it. We're getting the mirror there. Still, that can't be a good thing. It's not a good thing, but Arsa will get it better. She doesn't want to move the mirror, cool. uh, especially with the big crack. And, you know, she knows Ursa would love to drool over Calder's tools anyway, so. Indeed, she would. Good thinking. All right. Well, speaking of Calder, Calder, it's your turn. For just a brief moment, I sense that somewhere someone's thinking of touching my tools. And if I had hair on my back of my neck, it would stand up straight. All right. <clears throat> uh, I take a look to... Uh, make eye contact with Arabet to see what his plan is. So uh, since uh, he's gone, uh, I'm going to cast Disguise Self, but uh, this is real rushy rush stuff. So I'm just going to change my clothing into a deep hooded cloak 
and then try to find a tree to stand behind. Like that, that's it. Calder looks over at Arabet. Arabet looks over at Calder. There is a moment where eye contact is made. Arabet shoots Calder a wink and then vanishes. So Calder, for with a blank expression on his face for a second, looks at the approaching flames, looks at Ziva, and then grabs his coat with a short collar and pulls it up over his head to become a hooded cloak, which drops down to the ground all around him. Um, it doesn't quite cover his muzzle or tail without him pulling back into its depths, but it'll function for now. Uh, he takes up his position with his back to the broad bowl of a tree, and uh, we're going to Timote now. I'm going to hide. Roll it up, buddy. I'm gonna, I got a 21. Um, Calder, there is a small flit, flicker of motion from your left elbow uh, where Timothy was, and uh, then there is no one. And last but not least, Ziva, you are standing in this clearing, which is getting smaller by the moment as the branches reassert themselves into reality. I will cast Mage Armor. She will also look in her pocket for Sia. Oh, may I? Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Ziva reaches into her pocket, and thankfully her faithful familiar is indeed there. Uh, you stick your hand into the soft pile of fur feathers and squishy tentacles that is cuddly old Sia. So as you pull her out, uh, the tentacles come first, right? And then the rest of the thing itself, which as you start chanting your arcane syllables and the soft violet glow fills this darkened clearing uh, shining from your eyes. It is a glow which first becomes a corona and then a slight, just a slight halo, slightly violet, which then takes on an almost crystalline appearance before becoming a barely visible violet sheen all over her clothes. The thing arcane, having spread out and flung out like a cloak, grabs her opposite shoulder with its tentacles and draws itself closed. Sia embraces Ziva, keeping her safe and settling around her like a great fur cloak. At last, the woodsman hacking through the woods pushes into the clearing with his sword drawn he looks at ziva and then all expression drops off his face whereupon he says milady and takes a knee so nari You've been skulking about the late autumn because it turns out that the Violet Vicontess, well, the gathering that she's having is a peace summit. It's going to be a great big do, and all of the feuding factions of fairy will be in attendance in their best bib and tucker to hammer things out for a little while at least. It seems a pretty good time and a pretty good place to be. It's the place to be of the season, it would seem. 
one would think it is the event of the autumn. And so you have been slinking your way here for the past couple of days. Now, when we open the scene, we open it on a fairly typical fave village, you know, those mushroom-shaped roofs, the thatched roofs, and the little round cottages with the eight-sided windows and the little arch doors that are so common all over the ferry. They're quaint as anything, and they're much larger on the inside. Um, they could be anything. They're all the same size. They all look like they're 10 feet circular, but they could be a warehouse inside, could be a boarding house, could be a family dwelling. Who knows? The place changes on who owns it. Anyway, so you're standing just, you know, down the road from a small neighborhood of such houses, picking your way through a produce stall. There's quinces and bilberries, damsons and blueberries. And the boggart on the other side of the table is really leaning into you to just have a taste and try. Buy them, come and buy. When some cavaliers bearing the livery of Kern come rolling through town on their mud-footed unicorns. And so uh, you turn your face and turn your face away as they pass. I need you to make a perception check. Beauty, natural 20. I think the only way I can pass a perception check, because I'm so bad at it usually. If you As you turn your face away and tilt your hat down, you sneak a peek into these passing carriages, and you are absolutely positive that you can see your sister Ziva through the window of one of these carriages. It rattles past you before you can do anything, but, I mean, that it, she fucking did it. She fucking did it, Nari. She's come to save you. Unfortunately, she's in the parlor of your enemy who, if you're not mistaken, has a particular yen for purple. You kind of stand there dumbfounded and watch it go for a second. Back to you. I guess, well, yeah. Jeez, I got to follow the, those, uh, those cavaliers. Well, they're riding hell-bent for leather. Uh, four of them on all four corners of this pumpkin carriage, which is being drawn by great big muscular war unicorns with big glossy horns and fat hooves that you know don't sink in the mud or get dirty or anything like that. And they're all ultra black with red burning eyes and the whole carriage just skates along across the mud and filth that makes up the street without sinking because, well... You know, nobles. Shit don't stink to them. Meanwhile, you're coated to the knees. Yeah, I'll call it a disguise for now. Well, I mean, any good disguises in the details, right? Uh, do I have time to go and get my unicorn to chase them? Well, I mean, they're they on the seem, road, right? So yeah, they are the on the road. So you could probably cut across country and uh, catch them on the third turning down the mountain. I mean, you are midway up the highlands. You're not truly in the peaks yet, but not down in the valleys. And if this carriage is headed to the Vicontesses, it's down in the valley where you're headed anyway. You had a much shorter route picked. Already, you were just stopping to grab something to eat, you know, in case it was a while before you got to eat again. Well, yeah, I 
guess uh, schedule's being pushed up a little bit. Uh, I'm going to drop whatever I'm doing with the, the Boggart's uh, salad fixings and just run uh, run back to the unicorn, untie him, and start barreling along my uh, shortcut to the Vicontesses. Okay, uh, you get there, and with a snap of your fingers, the ties holding the unicorn fast uh, drop loose, and the, it looks at you and points its horn, and it's like, you son of a bitch. I... <sighs> Where are we going? To the Vicontesses. We're going to a... Well, I'm going to a party. Yeah, okay. And then that's it. All right? Because I'm not doing anything else for you after this. Oh, I suppose that's fair. Then let's go. And, you know, for a minute, like, Nari swings up into the saddle and the unicorn stretches out and does this big rearing thing and then launches off at all speed through the forest and it whips past Nari you've become an excellent rider by this point and so although this unicorn does everything that it can to clear you off because it did say it would get you there it didn't say it would get you there whole and in one piece right it gets around its promises that way and uh, so you're ripping along and dodging branches and all of this other sort of thing. And finally, you clear the ridge, like the, the tree line on the top of a ridge, which runs in a long U-shape around the foot of a long valley, which you think runs out to the sunlit sea far to the north, if you're not mistaken. But there, in the center of the valley... Just a couple miles down the road, once you reconnect with the road, is the Villa of the Violet Vicomtesse and the Grand Palace of Bailmina. Those Kernish Cavaliers with their escort, you can see them uh, heading down the road. You've got maybe 20 minutes of hard riding, but... Uh, it's also noteworthy. I'll let you roll on that natural 20. The Vicomtesses seems to be besieged. Oh, what's the uh, what's the defensive line look like? Like, are they looking at they're besieging the uh, the castle, I guess. But how is their uh, sort of rear guard watching their backs? Well, that was the, that's your first uh, that's your first clue. I mean, you're you're skulking through the woods on your unicorn when you spot a sentry who stands up and you know fumbles with his crossbow to point it at you and is run through by the unicorn before he can get a bolt out of his case. Unicorn kind of flicks this pixie kid off the ridge and watches him fall down into the trees below, kind of coldly and. You know, remorselessly, unicorns. You know. Uh, did I get a good look at him? He looked to be a sent like a like a scout by his uniform from the Crimson Count. Okay. Well get off the unicorn and uh tell him to uh, yeah, yeah, get out of here, Pinhead. We're done. 
fuck you. I never want to see you again as long as I live. And with that, the unicorn turns and runs off. All right. And I guess uh, for skulking around the uh, the camp, I'll uh, I'll just turn myself into that sentry. All right. Well, the unicorn takes off. Um, Nari, you climb down the cliff to where this pisky kid is wrecked and run through and broken up and his wings are all punctured through with the, you know, his uniform's all ripped and smashed from where he's fallen and shit. You turn his face to you and there's a scene where the camera does a quick 360 at your eye level where you whisper to this expiring fairy and as the camera goes around the back of your head your hair goes from the wild collection of braids and tufts and feathers and beads and bobs and shit that the boogeyman wears to a tight military braid your shoulders narrow your chest thins your hips likewise you lose to her well almost three feet in height because you know these guys aren't very tall and uh it takes a minute for your clothes to catch up and shift to their new form but before too long nari the camera finishes its turn and you look exactly like the dead pisky who lies broken on the rocks right next to where you're kneeling That was weird, caller. You were standing with your back to this bowl of a tree being big and imposing. This elvish soldier cut his way into the clearing, saw Ziva, and took a knee. Called her Milady. That was four hours ago. And now you're all riding in coaches. Uh, Ziva has has just been going along with this the whole time. Have they addressed her by name yet? Nope, they've just called her Milady. Then I, uh, I am not saying anything, and I'm just playing along. Okay, so the coaches break the tree line, and uh, there are two of them. One of them is uh, holding the two guards. One of them is holding the four guards that uh, found you in the forest. And the other one is holding the five, the four of you. Surprisingly, Calder fits in here. Uh, because it's big or uh, because we're in the dream? Yes. Thanks. So everybody's in this comfortable parlor-esque room that is the coach as the vistas of the dream slide by. And uh, for notes, for like noteworthy, Sometimes when the camera switches, the scenery will be different from one side of the cab to the other. Please go ahead, Ziva. Okay, so I honestly have no idea what's going on here, but we're, like, not dead, so yay us. What do you guys want to do? Well, do we have much choice right at this moment? I mean, 
I guess it's just like we find out where we're going and who they think I am and whatever. It was the weirdest thing. These like as soon as they found you, they led you back to the road. And then like an hour later, these two purple carriages showed up. They you know, drawn by great big sterling white unicorns, gelded males with the, you know, proud beaming silver gold horns and like great big fat dinner plate sized feet and drawing these carriages, you know, over rock and dale and logs and all this and that as though it were a perfectly smooth road. The guards, the soldiers that found you, were very quiet, didn't say anything, uh, fed you, right? Uh, the questions were like, well, you'll have to ask someone above my pay grade. It was really like there was no way you were going to be allowed to leave, but they didn't hurt you. And now they've left you all by yourselves. In this carriage, which I got to say, like y'all have ridden in some good carriages. These things are being pulled across the countryside. And it's as though they were driving down Commissioner's Way in Bailey Mina. You know, Ziva, with regards to uh, revealing who they think you are, you could, uh, you could demand that they refer to you by your full title. Oh, yeah. I'll have to find a way to sneak that in there. Ah, yes. Well, you see, nobility doesn't sneak. You would have to order them. Perhaps you should practice now. Tell Erebex <laughs> to address you by your full title. Go on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do it. He, like, doesn't even know my full title. No, no, that, that's, that's not the point, dear. I want you to do the asking. Okay. Arabat, you have to call me by my full title. All right. First of all, you would never deign to even know a servant's name, never mind use it. So, so try again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not supposed to use a name? Never. It is their job to know your name, not the other way around. Can you make a perception roll with advantage, please, Ziva? Use intelligence as the stat for it, too. Why is she even rolling? Uh, that's 19. He's not joking. You, you're not the best at draconic facial expressions, and they all kind of look like they're smiling all the time. But his posture is there, there, there's a momentary frisson of the scales on his shoulders and neck which you just like for some amazing reason pulled from a book of trivia that you read back in university you know like apparently dragons when dragons are irked their scales rattle like that that's what it looks like you'd never seen it before never had the chance but for some reason your mind correlates that thing Okay, caller. It's uh, the gig. Like she's, she thinks you're joking. She doesn't get how serious this is, and because you've been so used to nobody seeing it, 
you haven't really gotten used to hiding your expressions. But you can see her note the facade of annoyance that you let flutter across your neck and shoulders. And regardless of how anyone presents themselves to you, you simply do not care. Unless, of course, they're of higher rank than you. And for as long as we are here, I suspect that will not be me. Okay. Ask Arabette again. All right, hang on. She sort of pulls herself up. You will address me by my full title. Better. Arabette, how cold is your blood right now? Cold. It should be freezing. One more time, dear. But this time, darling, no, no asking, only telling, and try using the word shall. Oh, okay. Arabette, you know I don't like me in this, okay? Mm. Okay. <laughs> All right. You will address me about my full title. Arabette, there is a thing that happens then. Um, there's a, a, a flash from her purple eyes. You're used to this. Like, she's magic. Magic just happens around her. But there's a thing that happens when she draws herself up. Ziva is five feet tall, right? So how is she bigger than you? And why is she so goddamn horrible and beautiful and awful? And oh my God, she is eternal. And don't. And then you pull yourself in and she is Ziva. But holy shit. Bilbo Baggins. I am not the conjurer of some cheap tricks. Exactly. <laughs> Did it work? Did I do it? Everybody in the carriage... You are sitting in the presence of a fade lady. Thank you very much. Mind your manners, you filthy curs. I think that will do quite nicely. Now remember, ladies do not apologize. Awesome. Timothy, this is entirely too much for you today. Holy fuck, man. So, like, I mean, hoping to break some... Uh, hoping to break some... Attention, you look out the window, like, so you can say, hey, look, there's a pack of stampeding yetis coming to eat us. Something to do besides this. And it's not stampeding yetis. Instead, it looks like toy soldiers. Like a whole line of cannon and another whole line of cannon. And every once in a while, one of the cannon lines will go off and there'll be some explosions on the other side. And then a few of those cannons will go off. And then like a few seconds after the second line of cannons go off, the sound from the first cannons will get there. And then a couple of seconds after that, the sound from the second cannons. There appears to be a gunfight, an artillery battle going on in the field yonder. And when you turn your eyes to check out to see what else there is beneath the orange sky with the peppermint sun, there is a grand and purple castle standing in the middle of a beautiful valley full of purple grass. Beatific little 
farming villages dotted here and there, but largely it is carved into a beautiful eldritch diagram. We see this from above as the camera pulls out to a high overhead angle. And when we join our heroes, they are dismounting in the courtyard of the castle of the Violet Vicomtesse herself. The first carriage already opened contains the footman who says, All ye! All ye! Hawk me! Pay attention! For the arrival of the Violet Vicomtesse! And then the door to your carriage opens, Eva. And, uh... It's showtime. You're the Violet V Contess. Yeah, apparently. This is your castle. Apparently. Own it like Primus. No, no. It is. Okay. Your castle. Okay. Totally is. Okay. And she... <clears throat> and then she pulls herself out. Goes out of the door. You step out of the carriage and... Everybody in the courtyard is looking at you with great adoring eyes. So you step out with your... Like, you, you've decided, since you're going to the field, it couldn't be skirts. You're wearing, like, close-fitting trousers and big shit-kicking boots. You did dress to go to the field, even if you didn't get a chance to grab your equipment. Right? Mm-hmm. She has a long coat. So you step out with your long coat, and you, you know, make this... Your long beautiful shapely leg which reaches down all the way from the coach to the ground and as you step out you stretch out to your full six foot seven willowy beautiful height with your huge eyes and your long graceful fingers and everything about you so fade lovely very morticia adams you stand about and this uh, like as you as your foot touches the courtyard in the dust there are little puffs which resemble skulls before they settle in and when your other foot hits the ground there is a clap one clap from everybody who claps their hands in the courtyard at the same time all is silent the next sound is a <laughs> oh you've come at last have you yes this voice comes from uh, like the crowd parts and there is an ancient wizened old crone of a woman bent almost double from the weight of years she's leaning on her cane as though it were a wizard staff and uh, you don't have to switch your focus to see that it is she holds on to it with both hands, and she turns wide, glittering violet eyes to you, and goes, Oh, you'll do nicely. I see. Well, darling, gather your people, make yourself comfortable, we'll be having your affair this evening. And with that, the crowd closes in, and the old purple lady is gone. So back in the uh, in the carriage, after Ziva stepped out and making her presence known and acknowledged, I'll uh, I'll lean in. I'll make a little gesture for Timothée and Arabette to lean in. I'm saying, "All right, remember, we defer to no one but the Violet Vicomte." 
I will not hide who I am. Neither should you. We step out. We are her retinue. Either this will work or will not. But this is our only play, yes? What happens if it doesn't work? There is no what happens, Timothy. There just is making it work. It does not take long for the staff to get you handled. Noteworthy, they are extraordinarily good at their jobs. And before too long, you are all brought up to speed. It seems the Crimson Count is making war on her on herself and has been for some time. She has repeatedly refused his marriage proposals and he's had enough of it. She will realize how much she loves him if he has to kill her to do it. That's how these things work. Or so it seems. I mean, nobody seems overly weirded about it. Feel free to make your own reactions. Anyway, that's the situation. So the Crimson Count has the place surrounded. Well, he does now. He didn't, when you were sneaking in by ostentatious carriage, openly down the road, drawn by great big shining unicorns. But now the place is embattled and has been for... Well, ever since any of you can remember. But you haven't been here that long, have you? Very, very strange. Calder, there is no need for illusion here to cover yourself. There is no need to change your ways. And it seems that they bought this whole right hand of the Vicomtesse, her dragon general. It's been a while since you've been able to walk around completely undisguised and... uh I gotta tell you, bud, it's, well, it's a treat. Uh, I know that uh, my smile under normal, under normal circumstances is a little disconcerting. This is, uh, this is truly frightening. I'm, uh, I'm so damn smugly pleased with what's going on right now. Calder, you're so, like, adorable right now. And herself, the Violet Vicomtesse, who until this morning you knew as Ziva. Well, she is majestic and beautiful and terrible all at once. Purples and silvers and blacks and grays and all of these shades and everything on her looks so very lovely. Her ears are longer than you remember, just as pointy, and her features have this otherworldliness. There is, well, there's less of the human about her, it seems. Why, thank you. I'm, I must say, a short while ago, I did not expect that I'd be having quite so wonderful a day as I am. It, uh, it did appear to be somewhat of a, well, a less productive sort of situation, but where we find ourselves now, I, uh, well, I'm quite enjoying this. You look wonderful, by the way. Speaking of wonderful, um... Timothée has been dressed to accompany herself, so his outfit is complimentary in every shade and cut. Um, he comes in from the other room, having freshly shaved and uh, brushed his hair and got himself together with Arabette's help. Um, he walks into the room with some sort of faceless servant. You guys like looking like this? 
it's fun. Uh, Adam, am I correct that uh, I could uh, spruce myself up to be uh, quite fabulous myself with uh, disguised self uh, purely for the sartorial dimension? Yes. Uh, in that case, I will uh, cock a scaly eyebrow at young Timothy and say, uh, no, not exactly like this, but I do rather enjoy looking like this. And uh, I'll snap some scaly fingers together and uh, put together a dazzlingly uh, chic outfit. Now, here's the thing. A dazzlingly chic outfit in Bailey Mina would look like a dazzlingly chic outfit and feel like a misting of rain upon your skin. Right? Yes. Because it is illusory. We all know this. Here, the dazzlingly chic outfit is made of finest cloth and materializes into being at your whim. He'll uh, look strangely at himself and he'll kind of like touch it and like feel the thread count and the fine embroidery and he'll gently fondle. Call to the smell of it. And he'll fondle the fine brass buttons, and then all of a sudden he'll he'll kind of uh, jerk awake from the reverie of of looking at his finery and realizing that it's real. And uh, hopefully the people who have not met him yet uh, don't quite see this, but for those of uh, you who are near me and know me, you see wheels turning as I start to understand what the implications of this outfit mean on a much grander scale. The faceless servant who's accompanied Timothy into the room, well, he'll call himself Arabet if you ask him. Uh, bet nobody seems to be looking at you. I mean, good, really. That's how you like to be. But these people are your friends, and they've recently seemed to have stopped noticing you. Are you all set? Like, I mean, you even put on a snappy tuxedo to dress up like the rest of these folks. Nobody has said boo to you in 10 minutes. Suddenly, everybody, Arabet just kind of steps out of Timothy's shadow. Why, there you are, Arabet. Where have you been? Oh, my God, that's such a great outfit. Well, it's, it, it, I mean, it's, it's classic, to be certain. I really like what you did, Coulter. Like, can I touch it? Yes, please do. And then when she comes close enough to touch, I'll lean in and say, this was supposed to be an illusion. But here in the dream, it is real. I know, right? It's so cool. I am extra impressed with myself tonight. You have to admit, this place is pretty amazing. Um, I look back at Arabet to see if he's going to answer. Hmm? Why, there you are, Arabet. Where have you been? I've been right here, listening to you go googa over your new clothes. Well, that was episode 8, Through the Locking Glass. As usual, you can find out all the details, track lists, crew lists, cast lists at runelanders.com or runewise.games, whichever you have bookmarked. 
Hope you're all fair and well during this outbreak and uh, being kind to each other. See you in a couple of weeks. Until next, I'm Matt Adam. Take good care.